Albuquerque's macro aggression, Eddie Aragon, the rock of talk. Friday afternoon, I'm Eddie Aragon, The Rock of Talk on AM 1600 KIVA on your radio, abq.fm on your app and website, and directly on your TV at rockoftalk.tv. You're getting some new cameras in so we don't have to mess with the phone any longer. We've got D-Dowd Muskie. You can't see him today, but uh, you'll see him back on Sorry, ladies. Sorry. Oh, the ladies. (laughs) Ladies. Strangers in the night. My darling, I can't get enough Yola (laughs) B. Wow, a little Barry Wire <laughs> even on everybody. Uh, hard to believe that we're feeling good, but we are. Uh, and there is reason to feel good because, as I told you earlier in the week, it's now time for us to go on offense, and uh, we're moving in that direction. And I also like the fact that we don't have to talk about, unlike the Albuquerque Journal, Donald J. Trump anymore. They just literally start off by swinging for the fences and say, well, in order for the GOP to survive, They've got to basically wash away Trump. I don't know if you've been paying attention, folks, and what you've been seeing, but I can tell you this much. That's the last thing that the GOP needs to do. They must embrace the Trump voter. Remember, we've talked about the country club uh, people who have been involved with the Republican Party. They've been there for a long time. And then I guess, you know, us Trump voters, us Trump supporters, we're just uh, trailer trash. Remember when uh, Tucker Carlson was talking about that? And I guess it really does feel that way. Or the outcasts, or the people who who shouldn't be part of the party. We need to marginalize them again. It's only for big ticket donors. Let's not forget what happened at the beginning of the Tea Party. Who got brought in? A lot of disenfranchised voters, alienated voters. And this time, when you alienate them, they've learned all their lessons, and they're going to come back much stronger, much harder, and they are not going to involve the Republican Party. Can they do it? The answer is easy yes, an easy yes. Because you also have in that group, walk away Democrats. In that group, you also have a number of people who didn't like the politics that they saw last time. And then there are some Democrats who think that they thought it was pretty unfair for what's been happening and they don't want to see what's happened happening to their country and they don't have much confidence in one Joe Biden. Here on a local level, I think you're going to see the fracturing of the Democrat Party as well. You're going to continue to see people splintering off and saying, you know what, we're tired of living like this. We're tired of being tied to the government. We're tired of the impoverishment. We're tired of the things that you continue to sell to us. Because they'll start to realize that it isn't working. Because I hate to say this, folks, but we're about to hit the skids. The depression, the economic depression at this point, and as you're going to hear with Greg Zanetti a little bit later on, is inevitable. Now, is that bad? Of course it is. We don't even have to answer that question. What we do have to answer is how are we going to answer the call moving forward? Are we going to be changing and moving out of these deep-seated, rooted party affiliations where it becomes you know, more of a club that people just join because they think that they're going to have an impact? And really, you go to any of these Republican uh, get-togethers, much like Democrat get-togethers, they're not getting anything done. They really aren't. There's a very a few number of the things that are actually getting done. Uh, one of the things that happened in the Bernalillo County GOP, more of the same, more losses. Chalk it up under the uh, leadership of uh, one Julie Wright. And let's not forget what Jeffrey Snyder did when he said, well, the 
they're acting like a bunch of Nazis. The Trump supporters are acting like a bunch of Nazis. Wouldn't you want to embrace them? Wouldn't you want to bring them in instead of call them names and snicker and, oh, yeah, those Trump supporters? Isn't it time for the Republicans to sort of all get together? No, they'd rather push them out. And tomorrow might end up being the very same thing because there's the Bernalillo County GOP election. Now, I do understand, Rudy, from what from what I'm gathering, if I'm not mistaken, there's been some sort of uh, 11th hour changes again. Yeah, and we found out about it in the 11th hour. They finally sent out an email saying, here's where you go to get on the Zoom call. That should have happened last. That should happen at least at the latest Monday. In that, it says, and you don't have to show up to vote. Anyone can vote. We'll send you a link if you're not online. That in itself already it smells like something is up, something's not altogether right, and you're not going to shortcut. You can't shortcut winning. The Trump voter wants representation. Yes. They want accountability. They want to participate, and they want to know that it's fair. They don't want... You know, 11th hour snafus and, well, mix-ups and, well, I'm not really sure. Well, this is the first time we've ever done it this way. Or COVID, they don't care about excuses. Here's what I can tell you about the Trump voter. They don't care about excuses. In fact, I remember distinctly the Trump voter, they weren't crying for two months. They were waiting for direction from the White House, of which never came. And I can't necessarily say it was Donald Trump's fault. Might have been the only thing that he ever delegated. And it's probably because it wasn't. His wheelhouse, which was to focus on voting. Voting. You think Donald Trump ever thought, well, you know what? Wonder about those voting machines. He wondered about that after the fact. He thought other people were experts in their fields, could help a hand, and I don't think anybody was. 27 states picked these up. And on the county level, much like my own state leadership for the GOP. Hmm, I remember that. Remember that night, Rudy Grande, when we went to go vote for state leadership GOP, and I was running against uh, former Congressman Steve Pierce, who's now the GOP chair, and I literally stated emphatically, explicitly, and I made everybody understand that there was not enough participation in the state GOP election. How is it that we can have an election for anything if only 34.7% of the people who are participating uh, from the state central committee are going to be electing the chair. That's not going to be help helpful. That's really bad. That's what adds and, to the word that then, you call country club. Right. And then you compound that with the fact that only 7.2% of all the people who are participating in the state central committee for the election of the party chair are Hispanic. Oh, my. This doesn't work. This is not not reflective of where we should be. So we're going in. We're about to repeat the same exact mistakes tomorrow. They're like, well, now we want everybody to participate. Well, what happened last time? What happened last time? We wanted everybody to participate. No, no, no. That wasn't it. We shut off the deadline 10 days ahead of time if your name wasn't in. And Jeffrey Snyder has his, his claim that he wants to run for state GOP chair, a guy who literally stated, and explicitly that they're acting like a bunch of Nazis from within the Republican Party. You tell me at what point any Trump supporter feels welcome, any newbie to the political um, scene who wants to participate is going to feel welcome. This is not setting up for good government. So how can we sit here and complain we can't run our own election 
We in the Republican Party, we can't get it done the right way. And yet we're going to go make claims about voter fraud. You know, the, the Albuquerque Journal and the rest of the media is having an absolute field day with us. In fact, I think a couple of times this week now, they already brought it out, is how can Steve Pierce make these claims about voter fraud? We ask this to be, be dismissed forever. Mm. Forever. It just sounds like sour grapes because we lost. Well, what did we lose if we were never really in it? When you lose by the margins that we lost by, we're not talking about voter fraud anymore, folks. We're talking about not preparing people to run for office of the United States or of the state of New Mexico. That's what we're talking about. People who are ill-prepared, who weren't prepared, who didn't get any help from the state party. Oh, well, we've never got more help. Really? Then riddle me, riddle me as to why Sander Rue and Candace School did not get reelected. We wouldn't be dealing with a legislature like this if we had those two senators in there. And remember, I called them out specifically. I said, well, they would not represent Trump. And now you have the Albuquerque Journal. What do they say? Well, you know what? You guys should just let me kick you in the teeth a little bit more. Why don't you fully and completely and totally abandon Trump? You know what they're telling you as a liberal paper? They're saying, you know what? Don't go back and get those Trump voters because they're the only thing that can actually make you strong. Here's what's happening. We aren't going away anytime soon. People should, should, should begin to understand that. 75 million voters for Donald J. Trump can't be wrong. And you would be stupid to think that you could just pick up and walk away from Donald Trump. Honestly. There was little to nothing that Donald Trump said during the entire time from November 3rd all the way until January the 6th that would suggest that he was advocating violence, that he was saying anything at all that would sort of upset the apple cart. Yeah, he may have done a couple of things in Georgia here and there, but really, was he arguing for anything that, in, in from our perspective that we didn't think was unjust? Where did all these uh, ballots full, pallets full of ballots come at 3 a.m.? Where did they come from? Well, we know exactly where they came from, in multiple states and at the right time, and there should be answers for that. That's what we should be focused on. That's the only way we'll inevitably be able to go ahead and win any of these. Like, we don't have another election until we can answer these questions. No one's going to feel confident voting. No one's going to feel confident about participating. No one's going to feel confident about running. Think about this. Be like every single time, oh, forget about it. I'm going to walk away from this. They're just going to cheat anyway, and they control all the poll polls. They, they got us where they want us, and now in the media they're saying, well, you guys need to separate from Donald Trump, as if he was the problem. Things were going great right up until March 13th of, of 2020. Nobody could argue otherwise. Coming off the greatest speech, I can't even imagine Joe Biden doing a State of the Union speech, the greatest State of the Union speech this country has ever seen. He was all about coronated into a second term. Really, that's how good we were feeling. And then the big thud. It was the Democrats who were saying, no, we have nothing to fear with COVID. We have nothing to fear with the coronavirus. We have nothing to fear from Wuhan, China. No, keep the borders open. Keep it going. And then they switched. How gullible can we on the right continue to be? We finally found a man... We finally found representation. We finally found something that was emblematic of our values, that what we were going to stand for, someone who had a backbone. And now they're telling us to abandon him. Might as well tell us, uh, tell us never to vote again. Just be totally and completely uh, defeated at this point. Now, for the business of tomorrow, 
Uh, we have two people or three people. How many people are running for the chairmanship? Uh, three. 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 Okay. Three. And we have, uh, we, I know we have uh, Julie Wright. Okay. After two losses, a whole lot of uh, battles between her and the state party, which it's still the same leadership, by the way. I don't care if Robert Aragon is part of the state party or what's happening now um, and moving them. Those battles existed before, and they existed be between Robert and, and Steve, Robert Aragon and, and Steve Pierce, as much as they existed between uh, Julie and Steve. I mean, th these battles were pretty legendary. So in addition to that, we also have Jolene. Uh, Jolene's full name? Uh, Jolene Lyon. Jolene Lyon. Okay, she's also running. And then we've got... Winnie. Okay, her last name. Uh, Dowd. Schmidt. Winnie Schmidt. Okay. So let me ask you, Rudy, what is it that we need at the Bernalillo County level to get reorganized? In your opinion, give me your wish list. I don't care how many points in, in terms of getting ourselves to, you know, back to zero again so we can be competitive in 2022. Because right now, uh, we're an afterthought for the Democrats. They think they've got CD1. They think they've got absolutely everything. Number one, we need somebody that is going to organize all of Bernalillo County's wards. Now, ward is just a word for the area of town that you're in. It's built of a lot of precincts. We have that person. That person built what is called Engage 31 over the last two years. It went from three people to well over 250 people on a regular basis. We need that person to go and open up the wards, and he's already in place, and he's ready to do that. Who is that, Rudy? John Rockwell. Okay, John Rockwell. Okay. We also, we also need somebody that's going to go out there and do fundraising, fundraising, fundraising. Because the problem is we always wait to the last minute, and then we go to the typical uh, sources, and they all look and they say, oh, you're just going to blow it again. We don't need that. We need people that are willing to get behind and go out there and start giving us the footing that Donald Trump has already given us. We can walk and stand tall when we go and we ask people to get behind a county that's actually going to work. And we are the we're one third of the state's population. We are the biggest population just by a few uh, in the state of New Mexico. Then we're going to need events. We've got to have people that are going to go to events because we need to start teaching people. What is going on? And I don't want to sound like a school marm here, but what's happened is people have become so disenfranchised. It's everything Eddie just said. It's a matter of people feel like they don't know and it's not going to work. And, well, what's going on? I don't trust them anymore. We need to educate people on how the elections should run. And that way they can stand up and walk on those same two sure-footed feet that they have to make sure that they do their part. And then we need organization for the walk and knock. Because we need to be walking and knocking literally right now. We need to be letting people know that we want to help them get engaged so that we can have something that actually works. So, again, ward leaders, we've got that in John Rockwell. If but, we have the same leadership, uh, should Julie Wright get uh, reelected tomorrow, if we have the same leadership, um, Rudy, does the Burley County GOP uh, become insignificant once again? Um, and, you know, we know the state GOP has been insignificant uh we have um uh, i think really need to understand that the trump campaign for all the grassroots movement uh, the tracking the knocking of the doors as you put it knocking and walking that has been done uh both the bcgop as well as the nmgop both made claims uh on those gains that were brought in uh, by the outside forces if trump could do it from outside uh coming in uh, why couldn't it be rebuilt well, there was competition going on there. We need to now be 
the one that everyone's going to compete with, i.e. the Democrats. We've got to set the pace on how we do it and what message we're putting out there, because it needs to be something that educates people on all levels. Everybody has a different feel for what they want to do to get involved. What and, is the uh, what's the general mood right now in the inside the BC GOP? There are two. There's one of, oh, God, I hope we can pull this off tomorrow. Because there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people that are saying exactly what we're saying. We must have change. And then there's the unfortunate, cocky, country club group of people. And they're just sitting there saying, oh, yeah, we've already got this. We know what we're doing. Really? Then, like Eddie said, how did we lose Candace Gould? How did that happen? You know, why did Candace Gould lose Candace Gould? I mean... Uh, we're, so are, are they just looking to clear out the Trump vote? Is that what they think is going to fix everything? Uh, much like the Albuquerque Journal editorial staff uh, that put that out there. Is that is that really what they're thinking? I think they think that they've got it on autopilot and they can now just crank up a little bit more juice in the engine and make it work. From and where, though? If it's all been cranked up uh, exactly. from, from Trump, that just makes no sense. Because right. they think they all can do it. That's exactly where they're at. And I got to just say it, and I hope I hope I don't go too far with this, but you know what? There is a proverb that says, "As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool to his folly." And that's what the state party has done. If we do that in Bernalillo County, we're doing the same thing in New Mexico, and we better change our stripes. Yeah, I would agree with that. Ruiz always got his uh, pulse on things uh, politically. Believe it or not, he's on top of stuff. So we'll continue to see uh, what that is. Uh, some gatherings uh, tonight as we. Uh, sort of uh, pregame for tomorrow and try to figure out uh, how it's all going to shake out. A lot of people got involved in the BC GOP. Uh, we'll see who shows up to vote. Anybody can vote. They don't even necessarily have to attend, I guess, which is a, a late uh, change, but uh, we'll be there and uh, hopefully people can uh, navigate the Zoom and all the rest of that stuff. Back after a quick break, when we return, we got to review those bills up in the legislature. We'll do that uh, with uh, our Dow 3000, a new feature we'll put on every single Friday. And then uh, Greg Zanetti uh, will be joining us. Oh, but let's not forget, so we've got to do our Kill Bill selection. We'll be doing that as well, so making sure that we kill those bills and get that done. We appreciate everybody joining us here on a Friday afternoon. Download that app over 133, it looks like, uh, downloads uh, just in the past week. That may not seem like a lot to you, boys and girls, but uh, that's a lot to us. We appreciate each and every person out there. And if you want to crank it up and share, abq.fm. If you want to crank it up and share rockoftalk.com.chat, all that stuff, we would certainly appreciate it. And uh, as I said, very exciting uh, things uh, to be coming. We'll be making a very huge announcement that will be coming uh, next Friday. 425, back and forth. Albuquerque's macro-aggression. Eddie Aragon, The Rock of Talk. 4.30 here in the Kiva on a Friday afternoon on AM 1600 KIVA, abq.fm on the app, and rockoftalk.tv, which you can see reruns of absolutely everything. And uh, we're getting some upgrades here on the camera, so we'll go ahead and uh, get all those done, and we'll be ready to go. But you can, of course, see us uh, anytime right there. And move away from YouTube, folks. Just uh, get away from it altogether. You don't need to be tracked about it. Everything that you watch. Can you imagine if YouTube were a video store? And I'm literally just making this up right now. And you were walking around with all the cookies of the things that you used to check out on Beta and VHS back in the day. I mean, it's like, oh, whoa. Remember there was the back room that they had at all yeah. the video stores? Yeah. Like, oh, you only had, you could only walk into the video stores at certain times. Yes. 
You know, it was like, to, what did they have? Like, you, you had to part the ways. There were like yeah. chains hanging down yeah, or yeah, cloth yeah. or something. Yeah, like it was like the old massage rooms, <laughs> if you will. Right? I, I was, I don't know, I don't know if you were Eddie, but I was a huge VCR guy in the 80s. You know, I used to record uh, Johnny Carson, The Letterman, and listen to the comedians. And, uh, you know, I was a big documentary guy. I'd record a lot of stuff off PBS. And uh, I, I prefer video on demand. <laughs> it's a lot easier. <laughs> just the physics of that, just, you know, having to deal and rewinding. I had a, I had one of those uh, rewinders where you'd pop the tape in and all it would do would rewind yeah. it so it wouldn't wear out the heads on your actual VCR. Oh, I was a video freak, big time. <laughs> and then you hear it going, oh. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and they would pop up when it was done. Yeah. Remember, you go look at the, and you'd have to look at the counters and the oh, reset. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. roll it back and roll it forward. Oh, these kids today, that, they don't know what we went through. 353? Oh, no, I think it was right about 402. <laughs> right. And then you uh, accidentally reco- uh, record over something you yeah. hadn't watched oh, yet. Right. Oh, darn it. <laughs> and the same tape, you could only record on it so many times. Right, it would wear out, yeah. yeah. And then the, everything was like, uh, you know, you, you didn't know if you hit record if it was going to start recording right away yep, yep, or yep. 20 seconds in after yep. it would like phase out all the other VHS. And then you have to fast forward if it was commercial TV you fa- try to fast forward through the commercials yeah. but then you'd, you'd go past it into the program so you have to rewind it again a few seconds to try to get it just at that perfect moment. What was the brand name of the first VHS uh, thing you ever had? Oh boy I'm thinking maybe 7th or 8th grade. This is the b- best trivia question ever. I can, uh, I know exactly. Gold what Star. My, yeah, Gold Star's right yeah, up there. Yeah, uh, it's, it's up right there. Up the yeah. very top. Sanyo, yeah. Sanyo yeah. Was, was, a, yeah. was a big VCR purveyor back yep, in the day, yep. early 80s. Yep, yep, yep. Quasar, oh Quasar. Quasar, yeah. I had a Quasar TV in mm-hmm. college. Yes, yeah, yes. Quasar. Yeah. Whatever happened to all those no companies? One. Oh man, the good old days, <laughs> right? Whatever uh, happened is just sending the kid to the box telling him that you hit at the top and change the channel. You know, where's the clicker, right? Well, you know, that, that that we don't have a connection between work and reward anymore. You know, you just punch up something on a computer and somebody Uber Eats delivers a meal to you. There it is. Uh, you want to watch something on TV, click it on. Uh, Adam Carolla talks about his kids, how they can watch any program they want at any moment. And he said when he was growing up, when The Grinch came on, if you left the room during the commercial, the sister would scream down the hallway, it's back, it's back, and you'd run down, you know, with your little pajama feet so you wouldn't miss a segment of the, of the Grinch. It was on once a year. That was it. Um, this on-demand society, I, you know, it's, it makes life convenient, but I think it's also taken something away from us, too. Well, it certainly is. And, uh, you know, hey, we'll have old reliable. The only thing that's going to last in an apocalypse is your radio, folks. Radio, yeah, nothing killed the radio star, uh, not even the video uh, at, at that. Let's talk about uh, a great article from this morning, which I know that our our, our watchers, subscribers really um, loved. When wokeness becomes the law, boy, the roundhouse has no idea. Just And I saw this down, and I immediately, I got giddy. I'm not going to lie. Anything you knew you were going to like it. <laughs> anything I know that's going to poke the brain. Anytime you see a police officer face down oh, in yeah. a crowd where you have a, a lot of uh, freaks staring at him, you, mm-hmm. you know you got some real problems. Well, the one thing we can say about that picture, it, wasn't, it, it was taken in Massachusetts, not New Mexico. But I don't know for a fact that no policeman back in May or June didn't uh, lie down prone uh, with his hands behind his back to offer some sort of beg for forgiveness from the people of New Mexico. I mean, I, I don't know that things got that bad, but... I wanted to explore this issue of identity politics, race-based legislation, because, of course, New Mexico is facing so many problems, most of them uh, lately uh, a result of a horrendous public health lockdown that was completely unjustified. But uh, a number of bills, we're not quite at the time in the legislature. We have a 60-day session, so we're not quite done drafting those bills. But so far, just a couple days into the session, we have a number of uh, bill drafts that relate to 
what I would consider identity politics, what I think you would consider identity politics, Eddie, uh, responding to uh, St. George of Fentanyl, uh, dwelling on a number of ridiculous things such as uh, racial and cultural impact statements, uh, allegedly the discrimination against people because of their hairstyle, uh, money funding the, what is it called, the the Black Education Act, and of course, Black has to have the capital B on it now. So this stuff is popping up more and more this session, and it just is an indication, I think, of how wildly out of touch uh, these people are, and the fact that they're working on this type of legislation versus legislation to curb the governor's out of control power to get us back up and running economically uh, to address the real root causes of some of the self-destructive behavior in New Mexico indicates where these the bubble that these left-wing activists live in. Yeah, I think. Uh they got caught up in this, much like Sandia Labs got caught up in this. Indeed. You know, I think, uh, you know, the epoch, uh, the era in which we now exist in has really, you know, swept them all into. I think this is a product of watching way too many damn commercials and paying way too much attention to pop culture, paying way too much attention to pop stars, uh, if you will, uh, rock stars. I think this is what happens... This is what happens when you don't have parents who are involved in the children in the lives of children. Yep. Uh, I don't know how else this stuff gets uh, gets out there, but this has become more of the norm uh, moving forward. And here in, in in the state of New Mexico, the flavor of the month uh, is always going to be now. What stone can we topple? How racist was this? We were the very first to bring in Red Nation, the first to uh, basically uh, um, of all the places. If you can get it done, in New Mexico. Uh, get rid of Columbus Day and establish Indigenous Peoples Day. So I think this should be, I guess, hardly, hardly uh, a problem for most Democrats. But this has become sort of the norm, and I, I, I hate to say it, it doesn't seem to have any way of, of going back at this point because the media is just cementing this in. You know, I hope I cracked open the, the page of the Albuquerque Journal today. And just to, to kind of think about the type of group think, the editorial board of the journal, which normally is supposed to take a leadership position in any community, the largest rag in any community should always have, you know, a responsibility to sort of direct a conversation. And it, the first thing that it came out with is if the GOP wants to survive, it needs to move away from Donald J. Trump. We've literally had four years of attacking Donald Trump. They're calling it deep And the media yeah. could only print a paper. Yeah. As I said in the first segment, the media could only have printed a paper if it has Trump in it anymore. <laughs> like, you know, the new thing is to hate Trump and everything that has happened is racist. Uh, insane. Uh, and their, their inability to move on from this. And I, I think the there's a lot of these bills. I didn't look at every single one of them, but the two that I think bother me really the most, and I think it, it institutionalizes this kind of division uh, the sowing of division in this, and I actually use in the article some uh, wonderful quotes from two black scholars, actually, Ward Connerly from California. Uh, it is high time that those who are obs obsessed with color accept this fact we cannot use race to get beyond race. And John McWhorter, uh, who's a linguist and English teacher, very prominent black scholar, uh, wrote almost 20 years ago, uh, we will only get beyond race in this country when Americans view themselves as people rather than as eternally conflicted members of ethnic groups. And I think that's why these two proposals, just absolutely monstrously stupid, uh, for racial and cultural impact statements. Now, if you're not a legislative wonk like me, you might not know that each bill has a, uh, a fiscal statement prepared for it. What's the financial impact of this? Uh, if this is an appropriation or if this is some policy change that's going to require more spending by government. Uh, the wonks up there, and I think in a very biased way, produce a fiscal impact statement. And there's an education bill analysis, too, from the Legislative Education Study Committee. So right now we have these two 
levels of analysis that are applied to every bill that's drafted. Well, if you uh, are uh, supportive <coughs> of uh, Senator William Sewell's uh, lifetime uh, educator, lifetime on the government payroll, and even got his three government three degrees from government education, so we we subsidized even his education at the higher ed level. Uh, he wants uh, this is just absolutely insane to task the New Mexico Department of Cultural Affairs with providing, quote, facts and information on how a piece of legislation may affect the social, racial, and cultural needs of a community, close quote. Um, something that is a terrible idea just on its face, but then you also have the Department of Cultural Affairs, which tends to deal with things like museums, uh, analyzing legislation for any disparate impact on racial groups. Again, getting us to think of ourselves as nothing more than our pigment, our genitalia, our culture, not as individuals who come to our own ideas and conclusions about life and government and politics. Uh, this would institutionalize that. He wants this prepared for every bill. You, you could be talking about 1,500 pieces of legislation a session. Uh, very, very disturbing. And again, uh, doubling down on this, our, our friend Cheryl Williams-Stapleton, she will make a repeat uh, appearance in this segment. She wants the New Mexico Sentencing Commission to evaluate all crime-related legislation uh, regarding for any kind of disparate impact on race, gender, or, of course, sexual orientation. We have to throw in that as well. And just, How would we even gauge that? I'm trying to figure It's a very interesting question, isn't like, it? Yeah, I'm How do you quantify about, that? Of all the ways, as yes. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to... Really think of it as in their terms, not my terms, their terms. Yep. Um, and I'm a minority. <laughs> so That's right. I'm the official show racist. That in is all true. This. So I'm trying to figure out how to rationalize and weight an argument that would put it in, in such a way as to like streamline how we're going to pass bills. Like, is there, yeah. you know, yeah. a certain weight that you add to this or to that in right. order to pass a bill and, what would be the litmus test for any bill, uh, which would be the threshold of what you wouldn't want to cross? Yeah, and how much does or it count? Like, your how much does yeah. your race count against your sexual orientation? Right. And yeah, your issue yeah, quantifying yeah. is so true because a fiscal bill, say, oh, we're going to uh, raise a cigarette tax. Well, we have a whole record of you know hundred years right, of the right, cigarette right, tax. Right, yeah. You can say here's the number. Right. We think it may depress sales, but there's a certain number of people who will still buy cigarettes, and we think we're going to increase revenue by this much. Uh, <laughs> sexual orientation, race, ethnicity. Uh, exactly. There's no way to get some sort of, you can't do a spreadsheet on that. And, you know, even more, it's sick because it's institutionalized. This means that these bills would be prepared. Every bill would get the, the Sewell's treatment and every crime related bill would get this uh, treatment from the New Mexico Sentencing Commission. It would institutionalize thinking of New Mexicans uh, as uh, groups rather than individuals. New Mexico is one of the most, and has been since day one, one of the most diverse states in the Union. We have a greater percentage of people uh, with tribal affiliations than any other state. Uh, we do have a very small black population, which is interesting about, regarding a couple pieces of legislation we'll talk about uh, coming down the road. But um, we're almost a majority Latino state, just below 50% according to the, the Census Bureau. People like me, you know, the official whitey, white, McWhite, Connecticut types, uh, are in the minority here. I never feel discriminated against. I, I, I think uh, I may be afraid for my life because of the crime in New Mexico, but I don't. I don't really single out any particular type of person. Uh, I've always felt welcomed here, uh, and and they're they're using this diver this the diversity scam uh, to get us uh, to to really sow division, not heal division. And again, their you know their core constituency, most of these are left wing Democrats. I guess they they kind of eat this up, whereas the rest of us. Clear-headed, clear-thinking New Mexicans can see this for really what it is. I can't imagine a conversation, a normal conversation, with any of the people who would be proposing any of these things. I just, I just can't imagine what that would look like. 
Well, uh, and sitting down and trying to rationalize this, uh, you know, it, it it would have to be incredibly frustrating for anybody to try and say, well, where are you coming from with this, and why is this necessary? So, you know, more muddy thinking from Santa Fe. This is what they do. This is the best that we get uh, out of them. They are in session, uh, but they are hell-bent on ruining your life by giving you more things to think about, uh, or really uh, more ways to just control you, because they know that one thing that they can depend upon the uh, New Mexican population to do is not think about the crazy policies that they pass. Yeah, and and getting you to think about yourself as a voting block because of your sexual orientation or race or whatever. Uh, it's that sort of it's sowing that tribalism that, that that they can count on as a vote because if you've got people locked up in a group and you know our group is opposed to your group, well then our our, our tribunes, people like Cheryl William Stapleton, people who will, you know, bring us to the promised land, you know, clearly we could never go against her if we, if we, uh, if we're, if we're in that core group. And it's just worth noting, I put in here, she, uh, the, I guess she's, uh, as I say, she's not, she's an unlikely poster lawmaker for racial harmony, given the fact that in 2011 <laughs> she hollered at a Republican right. colleague that the Republican was, quote, carrying the Mexicans water on the fourth <laughs> floor. We all know exactly what she meant by that. If you're not familiar with uh, the Capitol, that meant, uh, Governor Susana Martinez up on the fourth floor. She was insulting the governor as a Mexican. So an unlikely uh, avatar of racial justice and harmony, uh, Cheryl Williams Stapleton. There she is, uh, folks. Uh, she makes a double appearance in the segment. And then let's not forget back in 2011. That feels like yesterday. That was so impactful. Yes. Uh, the media really, really... Uh, the media you know, reported it, which is shocking to me, but they yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was a different time then. Let's just say maybe they were trying to build a... Good relationship and rapport with the governor at that point. Uh, to have a Democrat apologize for anything, uh, especially something along those lines, and a black politician in the state of Mexico have to apologize for anything, I think is unheard of except for then. Um, you know, and we've seen some some real cases, uh, such as the case for the Office of African American Affairs. Oh. And uh, the big thing that happened over at the state fairgrounds, there was never an apology. Um, kick the bucket down the road. We'll fix it. We'll fix it. We'll fix it. Never got fixed. And you have even more uh, malfeasance uh, taking place. But uh, that uh, the, well, that's neither here nor there. We'll leave that there. Another article a little bit earlier this week, which you can find directly at rockoftalk.chat, uh, down in down in old Luna County. And uh, the Luna County is amongst the poorest, if not the poorest uh, county in our entire state. And for those of us who can't find that on the map, it's uh, it's in the butt, if you will, of Donana County. <laughs> you know, but Donana County looks like it's sort of bending over, and Luna County is sort of right behind it, uh, so to speak. Best way for me to describe that. Uh, all apologies for a native Donana County and native Luna County uh, residents. Uh, but this is uh, all about uh, finding jobs in the most economically uh, depressed place in the country, in the state. Yeah, and, and Luna County's always had a, a special place in my heart. I've never been there. It's one of the five counties of our 33 that I've never been to. Oh, uh, Un- Union, Roosevelt, wow. Lee, uh, Luna, and Hidalgo are the five counties. Uh, I've been to 28 of the 33. My goal in 2021 is to finally get to those five. They tend to be in the extreme portions, the extreme northeast, the extreme southeast and southwest. But uh, Luna has been taking it on the chin for a long time, ladies and gentlemen. Unemployment there, I went back and I looked at really 20 years of unemployment data. Sometimes Luna County unemployment has been almost up to 20%, which is just epic level. Um, Their incomes are much lower than the state average. Their food stamp usage is much higher. Unfortunately, child abuse in terms of number of children abused for every thousand children uh, is about a third more common in Luna County than it is in the state as a whole. This is a place that's really hurting. It borders uh, Chihuahua, the stately Mexican state of Chihuahua. It has an international border. Um, And, you know, a very beautiful, stark desert 
uh, environment, but it's just been suffering. Some good news about four years ago came to the county. They were, um, there were a bunch of uh, investors and mining investors in Elephant Butte over there in um, Sierra, I guess, county. Uh, they formed a company, got their investors together, called it American Magnesium. They found some high-grade dolomite, which is a, a rock, uh, I guess you could say a, a mineral uh, that was uh, it, magnesium is associated with dolomite, and they have to kind of take it out and process it, uh, haul it away to a processing center. They were going to do that in an industrial park uh, in outside Deming, and magnesium is just a very useful metal. Uh, New Mexico is very rich. You know, we we say uh, Arizona and New Mexico entered the union at the same year, and New Mexico got all the natural resources, the oil and the gas and the uranium and all that, and we 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 actually didn't thrive. Whereas Arizona, which lacked a lot of these natural resources, has thrived enormously. So magnesium is very interesting. A lot of car companies are thinking of using it more uh, in terms of its strength, uh, but it doesn't weigh as much as steel and some of these other metals in, in cars. So there's a future potential for this mineral and another way for New Mexico to use its natural mineral wealth. So if you want to mine on federal land, ladies and gentlemen, it's just you got to don't hold your breath because it's going to be a multi-year process. And... This has been going on for uh, literally years and years. You're talking about a very small footprint, 40 acres uh, down in, I guess, the Florida mountains. There would be no depressions or pits once the mining is complete. It's really more of a quarrying. Of course, they'll restore it to uh, its original appearance. The operation poses, according to one of the investors, the chief investor, but I checked into this, and it's true, uh, virtually no environmental hazards. There's not going to be any line pits. No chemicals are going to be spread out. Uh, none of the environmental problems classically associated with mining is basically a quarrying operation. They're going to take this dolomite out, haul it to an industrial facility outside Deming, process it, get that mining and uh, magnesium, and sell it on the international market. But this being New Mexico, uh, the very idea of this was opposed immediately uh, from a mix of NIMBY people, uh, a lot of locals who like to hike in that area, but apparently people who have money, uh, silver-tailed, <laughs> uh, you know, silver-haired, ponytailed oh, people who, they're uh, doing fine, but they're not really looking to expand People who live hours away from this area. Yeah, insane. Uh, and so uh, so they, they were fighting it and making all kinds of accusations. And I didn't know that the, the local support, uh, the local opposition would amount to much, but uh, five months ago, very late in this process, the big boys stepped in. We are talking about people with deep pockets. These are, are the so-called environmental groups who, who have enormous resources and smart lawyers, Wild Earth Guardians, New Mexico Wilderness Alliance, of course, Amigos Bravos. Uh, they made, you know, broke bread with the locals called Friends of the Florida. The Florida is the Florida mountain chain through there. And they filed a petition to stop the BLM from authorizing this. Now, the BLM, the good BLM, or not, maybe not the good BLM, but the government BLM, uh, Bureau of Land Management, we, we used to have a different BLM before Black Lives Matter came along, they uh, originally, just a month earlier, had found that there was going to be no significant impact from this project. 40 acres? I did the math, Eddie, and I believe the 40-acre project of this quarry represents 0.002% of the total land area, not of New Mexico, of Luna County. So you're talking a minor, minor footprint. And the federal uh, environmental bureaucrats, land management bureaucrats, actually came forward and said, you know, this is not going to have a big impact, and you know, we're not going to make you do a full-bore environmental impact statement where this is going to go on for hundreds of pages and take even more years. Well, Big Green stepped in. Big Green with its big pockets have stepped in, uh, and they challenged this decision, and now the BLM is backpedaling. Bottom line, folks, this was a project that, uh, you know, like all mining projects are kind of a leap of faith. Some pan out, some don't. But in the county in New Mexico that has suffered from the worst unemployment literally for decades, this posed some job opportunities, some job prospects for people down there. And where, again, do we see the environmentalists come down on this crushing, this 
rather minor proposal, so minor that the Bureau of Land Management found what's called a finding of no significant impact. Fonzi, or you know, Arthur Fonzarelli, F-O-N-S-I for this project, it was not going to be an environmental disaster, and it was could potentially expand and become a bigger project and provide opportunity for people down in this deeply troubled county. And where are our green friends, again, fighting opportunity, demagoguing and saying it's the end of the world, just to build a simple, small dolomite quarry in Luna County to provide some jobs from folks down there. And, um, again, kill it, kill it, kill it is the response from envir- so-called environmentalists. Well, absolutely fascinating stuff. Uh, we will start doing this uh, every Friday with D. Dowd Muska, and we're going to go through uh, the stories uh, for the week during the second half hour of our first hour uh, to sort of uh, kick off the week, and then we'll have our final installment of uh, Kill Bill. We did miss yesterday, Dowd. I don't know if uh, you <laughs> we recall that. Well, when but... you and I get going on Virgin Galactic, there's no stopping. So yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty good. But we're going <laughs> to kick off hour number two with two quick Kill Bills, and then uh, we've got Greg Zanetti for the second hour. And then uh, we're going into a Berlio County uh, meeting, pre-meeting, and uh, tomorrow is the Berlio County chair uh, election which uh, for the GOP, which is a pretty big deal. So that'll be a, a big to-do for party stuff. So we'll be doing that all day tomorrow uh, pretty much. But uh, long story short, uh, we have an interview I did with uh, Greg Zanetti that actually never aired, and uh, we're going to go ahead and air that. So you're going to get the uh, perspective from this week and then again the perspective from the other week, uh, which was two weeks ago, uh, where Greg Zanetti uh, was talking about what was happening uh, here, as we saw what was taking place in Washington, D.C., what they were referring to as a capital riot. I have never called it a riot or a mob uh, for anything that I've seen, but uh, again, unless you were there, you wouldn't know, and most of what we've seen has been overplayed and overblown uh, by the mainstream media. So, uh, when we come back, we'll hit the uh, kill bills uh, to uh, from yesterday and today. We'll do that, and then directly into uh, Greg's name. Let's hit the top of the hour, Fox News, right here in the Kiva on AM sixteen hundred KIVA on uh, excuse me sixteen AM sixteen hundred KIVA ABQ.FM on the app RockofTalk.TV directly on your TV. Uh, at this time next week, 4 o'clock, exactly 167 hours from right now, we will be telling you about some absolutely amazing things that you'll want to stay tuned for. So uh, next Friday, you better stay tuned for that because we've got some new things to talk about here regarding the Kiva. Albuquerque's macro-aggression, Eddie Aragon, the Rock of Talk. I am Eddie Aragon, the Rock of Talk on AM 1600 KIVA, ABQ.FM on the app, and Rock of Talk TV on your TV, and now for Roku. And uh, here with D. Dowd Muscovy. Dowd, we've got to kill some bills. We do, we do. I think we've got we to gotta slay some dragons. we gotta, we got to get rid of the, the bad stuff, and... Uh, I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit like a uh, Kill Bill uh, movie marathon this weekend. Just, yeah, it just, just, it, just put, it was just put up on either Netflix or HBO Max. One of them I really? saw pop up. Yeah, I haven't seen it in probably a year or two. I gotta, I gotta, gotta go do it again. Just ready to walk with my gang and kill. Oh, Renishi! Right. All right, we missed yesterday, and uh, so this is a, a double feature, just like it is. it's going to be 
this weekend. Uh, some some great stuff uh, to be sure. But uh, all right, let's kill some bills uh, here on a Friday afternoon, shall we? Yeah, uh, we're gonna start out with Senate Bill SB one thirty, and this is all you know easily accessible online, folks. If you uh, you know just search uh, DuckDuckGo New Mexico Legislature, it's a it's a pretty well designed website. It'll show you all all the, the complete. Legislation listing Senate bill. You know this isn't uh, this isn't rocket science. Uh, don't don't be intimidated by the people in government who think you know they're smarter than you are. But trust me, they're not. Uh, this is Senate Bill 130 by uh, Senator William Sewells. Uh, he is a he has been a problem in the past. He's a problem today, and I'm sure he'll be a problem moving forward. Uh, spent his life in the governmental sector. He wants the General Services Department. That's sort of uh, you know they oversee all the sort of basic core functions of government, like hiring and you know the the fleet. Uh, of the state fleet of vehicles, um, he wants to mandate that they purchase <clears throat> electric vehicles in a manner in which these vehicles would constitute at least 75% of all state vehicles by January 1st, 2030. Of course, that's less than a decade. And of course, he can't just leave well enough alone. Being a legislator, you have to be a little Napoleon and you have to dictate exactly what this means. Uh, he wants a car, or these cars, the 75% of these vehicles, they must have a capacity of not less, get this, than four kilowatt hours in these vehicles and they must be capable of being recharged from an external source of electricity. So that's sort of a little boost to the uh, charging station manufacturers. So there we go. Mr. Sewell's wants that. W- what's, what is this all about? Well, ladies and gentlemen, first of all, right now, a significant amount of our electricity in New Mexico, and it will remain a significant amount of, of our electricity, it's not disappearing next week, comes from coal. So in a sense, he's arguing for uh, uh, coal-powered cars uh, to, to some extent. And I thought that environmentalists and left-wing Democrats were against helping coal. So that's an interesting bit of hypocrisy. Lots of other issues when it comes to electric cars. It's still a very new technology. We don't know how long one of these cars lasts. We don't know about the environmental disposal of the batteries. Uh, the, a lot of these are unanswered questions. And if you want to use your own money, I have nothing personally against electric cars. And maybe my next car will be an electric car, car for, I, for all I know. But the idea that government should be mandating uh, the purchase of up to 75% of our fleet, our state fleet, to be electric cars seems to be a rather preposterous notion. Deeper issue here, though, is this issue of Helping this industry, uh, the statistics are very, very clear. Somewhere around 80% of all electric vehicle tax credits claimed at the federal level go to houses, uh, how, annual household incomes, uh, people living in these homes of over $100,000. These are people who can afford these cars. And on top of that, they also get a $7,500 federal tax credit. So they're affluent homes, maybe wringing their hands over their contribution to global warming and that terrible carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And a lot of these people are so dumb, they don't even know that coal is used to generate electricity. And so they have coal-powered cars right now to a large degree. But, you know, details never matter to people who want to do their left-wing virtue signaling. So they're wealthy households. Uh, they get a $7,500 federal tax credit. A lot of states pile on to that. Uh, I think our neighbor to the north, Colorado, gives them a state income a state income tax credit of four thousand dollars. New Mexico has considered adding a state income tax credit as well, hasn't passed yet. So this is an industry entirely propped up by government. Uh, it's based on this hysteria over climate change, and we don't have time to get into that today, but we address that quite frequently, of course. Um, and so do we want to give more welfare to the industry of the electric uh, car manufacturing world? Uh, I would say Absolutely no. Not. And uh, again, I have no problem with individual choice. If you want to buy an electric car, go buy an electric car. Uh, I'm not bashing the industry. Uh, I'm bashing government support, uh, government picking winners and losers. And this is just another example of government, in this case, Senator Sewell's 
uh, picking a winner, and we don't well, know the long term consequences. We're, we're whipping him today. Huh? We are whipping him. Uh, yeah. He's he's a. I had no idea how bad he was until I looked up his bio. Three degrees from New Mexico State. You you paid most of that tuition. Most of the people who go to a government university, taxpayers, pick up a huge portion of that. Did he graduate on time or anything? He did all the way through to PhD, and he's worked uh, his whole life in government schools. Uh, I think high schools and also four universities, government universities in New Mexico. As far as I know, never created a job, but he does want to drive up costs to the taxpayers. By purchasing these electric vehicles, so um, does he go by Doctor Doctor Schools? Ooh, that is a good question. I like Doctor Cosby? I bet, I bet yes. he goes to yes. oh, 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 oh. <laughs> budding pops. Yeah, uh, Doctor Schools. I bet he goes by that. Oh, all right. So we've killed one bill here on a Friday afternoon. How about uh, one more? Well, this is a twofer. Uh, HB, and again, just go to the website, folks. Real simple. N M L E G I S. New Mexico Legis. Dot gov and they've got all the information you need to read these bills, read the analysis, and read what you know what hearing they're in, and you can watch hearings. Uh, HB, I mean House Bill forty nine. There's also the Senate version of the Senate Bill SB seventy eight. Uh, again, HB forty nine, SB seventy eight. This is basically Republicans' desperate attempt to claw their way back to relevancy in New Mexico. Uh, the House version is actually five Republicans, including our beloved Rebecca Dow, has uh, signed on to this as a, as a co sponsor in the. On the Senate side, it's actually a Democrat, Senator Michael Padilla, who was pushing this bill. What would it do? It would exempt all Social Security income from the state's income tax. And, of course, you hear that and you think, well, that's wonderful. Uh, You know, we want to give out tax breaks. Folks, it's hard for me to say I have many relatives, including my own parents, who receive Social Security. But this bill and and similar bills that sort of carve out little perks for people, uh, uh, seasoned citizens as Mr. Limbaugh has called them for many, many years. It's really based on this flawed notion that older people in our society are living, you know, hand to mouth in a, in a hut down by the river. Uh, the fact of the matter is, older people, if you look at by households by age, older folks are the wealthiest element of our society. And as uh, columnist Robert J. Samuelson once wrote, uh, we have to address this outdated and propagandistic notion that old age automatically impoverishes people. Old folks, by and large, are doing very well. And I may be speaking to someone right now who is an old person who doesn't have particular means, but those of us in the policy analysis world, we have to look at the whole country. And by age, elderly households are wealthier than than middle-aged and are uh, poorer in our younger households who tend to not have that much uh, income. And the statistics really bear this out. Um, Old folks do fairly well. They also do fairly well from the entitlement system. Uh, they tend to get out far more than they pay in. I know a lot of folks say, well, we paid into Social Security and Medicare. We're only getting back what we paid in. There is an interesting analysis done by a left-wing uh, think tank, the Urban Institute. Uh, for example, a single woman over, the, over her lifetime will actually earn a lifetime entitlement, Social Security and Medicare windfall, of $310,000. That's $310,000 more than the taxes she paid into it. If you're a married one-earner uh, income with a rather high income, you will be getting back $602,000 from the entitlement system in this country, folks. Wow. It's the driver of the national debt. More than anything else, more than military-industrial complex, more than NASA, more than anything else, more than foreign aid, it's the entitlement system that is bankrupting us. So does it make sense to reward uh, older folks? Um, there's a wonderful quote I put in a column a number of years ago, federal judge Janice Rogers-Brown, my grandparents' generation thought being on the government dole was disgraceful, a blight on the family's honor. Today's senior citizens, and this is heavy, blithely cannibalize their grandchildren because they have a right to get as much free stuff as they, as the political system 
will permit them to have. <laughs> if we're talking about tax relief, really, folks, let's look at reducing tax rates for everyone, not just certain groups that will end up being a key constituency that will win you votes. Let's help everyone, not just a certain group. That's right. That's the way policy should work. And we're going to talk with uh, Greg Zanetti over the next uh, hour, and then we're going to play during the third hour as we move to our BC GOP team building, and uh, you guys can certainly catch us uh, there uh, doing that tomorrow for the BC GOP. Full lineup uh, for tomorrow uh, as well, so don't forget that. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the Kiva on AM 1600 KIVA. You need to download that app at abq.fm and visit us directly at rockoftalk.tv. That's rockoftalk.tv. Albuquerque's macro aggression. Eddie Aragon, the Rock of Talk. All right, back here in the Kiva with uh, Greg Zanetti. And uh, Greg, we got to jump right into it. We've got a brand new president and a, I don't know, a brand new direction, I guess. We right. thought that it was going to come out a little bit different and Maybe we were the only ones that were uh, was truly counting uh, the votes. Um, and I guess we'll just start there, and then I'll let you sort of take us into the program here this afternoon. As okay. always, you can reach out to uh, directly to Greg uh, at Zanetti Financial. Greg, your number is? 250-3754, or just go to ZanettiFinancial.com. But first, can we even have an elections if we can't trust the ballot box? No. No, the republic is dead. If you can't trust the vote, and if we are now going to institutionalize or make it structural that you can cheat on elections, it's going to be pretty rough sledding for the republic. doesn't mean we can't overcome it, but you just got to realize that we're facing some tough times. What do we see moving forward in the short term? And I know that you're always giving us forecasts as uh, what's to come, but uh, this is uncharted territory. Uh, and... I think uh, I tried to communicate to everybody that I couldn't see six months past this. I think we've now uh, come to that realization that nobody could, uh, literally nobody. I think even them, they, they can't imagine that they were as lucky as they have been. So uh, where are we at? Well, I think the visuals yesterday were, or the other day were stunning, where we had attack helicopters, tanks, and over 20,000 troops in Washington, D.C., and the left was cheering this. Do you remember for decades, they hated the military-industrial complex. They hated the military. They hated, and now, I guess you could say, now that it's theirs, you know, they're cheering it. And so I think that's a bad harbinger of things to come when the previous inaugurations were bands and balloons and flags and you know, people happy in parades. And now it was you know, basically concertina wire and concrete barriers pretty disturbing and then in the immediate aftermath i mean you saw what biden was doing this week i mean we're, we're talking about sweeping legislation you know from uh, higher taxes to green new deal you know nonsense i mean anything to debilitate business regulations coming back um i think this is going to frustrate an already weakened economy i think that's now baked into the pie i don't think there's going to be any monetary or fiscal restraint at all and I've heard you talk about that. By that, you this. mean, you know, the printing of money. Correct. And the merger, I'm going to say, of the Treasury Department with the Central Bank. I mean, look who he appointed as the Secretary of Treasury. It's going to be Janet Yellen, the former, former chairman of the Federal Reserve. Right. 
And Eddie, if you listen to her comments and what she wants to do, it's really go big or go home. How much stimulus can we do? How much printing can we do? And I'm ready and I'm here to help. And so here we are where our M1 money supply, and again, this is really wonkish, but I'll go over it again. M1 is the money closest to you. It's a measure of the money supply. Right. It took 80 years for us to get to our first trillion dollars in M1. It took 18 years after that to get to two trillion, five years to get to three, four years to get to four, and that took you to January of 2020. Then in six months, we went to five trillion. In four months, we went to six trillion, and we're now on pace that at the end of this month, so... 10 days, no, seven days, we will have gone to $7 trillion in M1. The point is, in ever-decreasing amounts of time, we are increasing the money supply. And it's clear that the money spigot is going to get turned on even higher, and no one seems to care one whit about the national debt anymore on both sides, Republicans and Democrats. So are we drowning in more debt uh, because of this, or is this just funny money and the hope is to increase inflation to a level where we can hopefully wash away our debts. Yes, yes. Their stated goal uh, from the globalist perspective is to erase debt, and there are really only four ways to do it. One way is you can default. Uh, you can default on debts. I mean, sure. Eddie, you're hearing it right now. Yeah. We're going to have jubilee on the student loan debts. That's $1.6 trillion. Yeah, that's and, nothing. That's a drop in the bucket right. now, uh, according to them. We've printed sure. $6 trillion, so that's nothing. Right. Why not? <laughs> but just remember, someone loaned $1.6 trillion. Right. That, that means they're defaulted on. It had uh, the Republicans won, there was talk out there saying China sent us COVID. Uh, they own $1 trillion of our debt. Don't pay them back because they crushed our economy. Okay, I get that. But be careful if you do something like that. Wars can start. The flip side is someone then is defaulted on, in this case, China. But you're hearing more talk about defaulting on some things, but it's a pretty heavy instrument to use. So the more elegant way is you just print. And we're not just seeing this here in the United States, but it's global. The printing of euro, yen, dollars, uh, pesos, <laughs> it's, it's everywhere. But here, yes, we're going to be turning on the printing press in the effort to uh, spark inflation and pay off the debt with inflated dollars. And the final way to do it, and this is really inside baseball, but you revalue your currency versus gold. And if we talked about that on the show, Eddie, how, how that works? When we look at everything that's happening in the world, are they even caring or thinking about any of these fiscal issues, the monetary policy? Is this... Uh, yes. But they are. Yes, they are. Okay. They're thinking about it. Well, the so they, this is, this depends is on who the they then. is. Well, they being the people now who are in power. No, no, no. They have no idea what's coming. But the people who are above them, who are encouraging, who have paid for their campaigns and are encouraging these policies, yeah, they've certainly thought through it. And their stated goal is a new currency or the global currency reset or a uh, the financial reset. You're going to hear this term over and over again. And by the way, Janet Yellen is a big believer in the reset. So is Joe Biden. How do we know that? Just curious how it. you know that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if you, the International Monetary Fund, the Bank for International Settlements, is really the cheerleader for this thing. It's the central bankers of the world. Mm -hmm. And maybe to set this up, Eddie, people don't really know who the IMF is. So let me just 
talk about. The International Monetary Fund, uh, Bret Woods, 47. Yeah, so here's how the structure works. We have local banks, we have regional banks, we have national banks, then we have the big Wall Street banks, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan. The one above them all in the United States is the Federal Reserve. And you know this, it's a private bank. It has shareholders. It has a board of directors. Right. Don't think it is the the Federal Reserve of the United States. They are not beholden to or loyal to the country. That's not their mission. They're loyal to their customers, who are the other banks down below them. Mm-hmm. And they actually have a bank above them, which is the International Monetary Fund in Basel, Switzerland. By the way, the same structure exists in Europe. Local banks, regional banks, big national banks over there. Then you get to the European Central Bank, Mm -hmm. private bank with shareholders. Same structure in Japan till you get to the Bank of Japan. Same structure in China. Same with the Bank of England. Same with Bank of Switzerland. Those are your motherships. The one above them all is the International Monetary Fund, the Bank for International Settlements in Basel. That's who they are beholden to. So when they speak, you might want to kind of listen to them. So here's what they said. Actually, it was about a decade ago to the day. It was January of 2011. They had a conference, and they had a pretty interesting presentation that went like this. Western nations, here are your growth rates. Here are your demographics, your aging. Uh, Here are your interest rates, and on and on and on. Finally, they got to, here are your promises in each of your countries for Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, military retirements, uh, your promises, your social programs. That graph just went straight up. And they said, look, somewhere out there, all of you guys are going to hit the debt wall. You're going to know you're close when we're at 0% interest rates, when you can't even afford to pay interest on your debts, you will know that we've hit debt saturation. That was their mm-hmm. term. Yeah. When we hit that, we are going to have to erase debts. Well, everybody was perking up then. They said, look, it's not now. It's out there in the future, but you're going to have to have a glide path. Prepare, because as we erase debts, we will need to initiate, this was the first time we had heard the term, a global currency reset, the GCR. Well, that name is now morphed in the Great Reset, Financial Reset, Steve, we just talked about. But the principle is the same. They want to declare jubilee on the debts and start over with a new system. Now, what we have now is a situation where it's no longer a communist versus socialist versus capitalist problem. It is an issue of mathematics. Global debt now stands close to $280 trillion dollars. On a global economy, it's probably right around $80, $82 trillion for last year. The year before, it was $87 trillion. I'm knocking a little bit off for COVID. Well, we can't comprehend that number. Trillions are too big. So, Eddie, let's put it this way. Let's just pretend you made $82,000 a year. That's pretty good money in Albuquerque. That's what really if, good money. Yeah. What if you were uh, in debt, though, on your credit card, $280,000? On an $82,000 salary, can you pay a credit card debt? No, you can't. Unless the credit card company came to you and said, Hey, let me wipe it out. Yeah, 0% interest. Eddie, don't make payments. 
uh, you're a good guy. You got a good radio station thing going. We know it's going to be okay. Don't make payments this month, next month, or next. We're going to drop your interest rate to zero. That's what the world has done. And so this is why we're at negative interest rates in part of the world and zero in most of the world. That tells you we're near the debt wall. So let me just finish the story. The IMF then went on to say to the members, again, a decade ago, when we hit this point, the way you erase debt is, and there are only so many ways, Eddie, (laughs) one, you can default. Just don't pay. Well, okay, again, a blunt instrument, usually you don't want to do that. Option two. And three, let's put these two together. You print money and you devalue the currencies, which is what we're seeing now everywhere in the world. And the last one, and this is one it's so foreign to people, you revalue your currency versus gold. Now, let me explain how this one works, because if you can get your head around this one, you'll understand why governments are in a big grab for gold and have been for the last decade. Gold in and of itself, Eddie, is a shiny yellow metal. It doesn't earn interest. It doesn't move a truck or a train. You can't eat it. Uh, It's not used much in industry. Trace amounts of technology. Warren Buffett calls gold a pet rock, and he's right. Now, here's the paradox. Because gold is useless, a pet rock, it's valuable. Now, your audience is probably going, what is he talking about? How can something with no use be valuable? Here's how it works. Because gold is useless, it is the only thing that can be used to erase debts. And here's how it works. The last country that did this was the first world nation, and it wasn't done that long ago, was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And in 1934, he had a problem. The Depression was deepening. Tax revenues were falling. Sound familiar? Like today. Meanwhile, debts were soaring. Sound familiar? Kind of like today. He really wanted to do the New Deal programs, but he didn't have the money. So here's what he did. In 1933, he made the ownership of gold illegal. And people had to turn in their gold, and they got paid 20 paper dollars for every ounce of gold they turned in. So by the end of 33, going into 34, government had all the gold, people had all the paper. And then in 34, he changed the price of gold. He said, gold is no longer $20 an ounce. I decree. He doesn't even go to Congress. I decree gold is $35 an ounce. Now, Eddie, I want you to picture scales, the old-fashioned scales with a plate on one right. side and a plate on the other. Yeah, I know where you're going. When he Picture gold on one plate, mm-hmm. debt on the other. When he made gold $35 an ounce, it's like he made gold heavier. That made the debt lighter. Lighter, yeah. With a stroke of a pen, yep. he erased about 70% of the government's debt. Not the nation's debt, the government's debt. It helped no farmer. It helped no business owner, no landowner out there. Anybody in debt did not benefit from this except government because they had the gold. How come you can do this with gold and nothing else? I want you to imagine, 1934, soup kitchens, bread lines. And he says, I'm changing the price of oil. From $20 a barrel to $35 a barrel. Oh my gosh, that would have rippled through the whole economy. (laughs) Are you out of your mind, Mr. President? You doubled the price of gasoline when we can't even feed our families? Off with your head. Uh, Imagine copper. Copper's pretty useful. If he had doubled the price of copper, ripples through the whole economy. 
iron ore, steel, natural gas, coal, anything with a use would have rippled. Daddy, when he changed the price of gold, he changed the price of wedding bands. It didn't change the price of chickens or apples or gasoline or farmland. Gold's not in any of that stuff. Thus, because gold has so little utility, it can be used to erase debts. And you know this because in 2011, when the IMF gave that speech, and they went through the four ways to erase the debt, we'll repeat them, default, inflate, devalue, revalue versus gold. At that moment, China stopped all gold exports. Russia went through a massive program of building up their gold reserves. Germany asked for its gold back from the United States. Italy and France followed soon thereafter because we were storing gold in the U.S. during the Cold War for European nations because the fear was the Russians would attack. And they said, give us our gold back. Mm -hmm. And it was like, all of a sudden there's this mad rush for gold because they knew we've got a glide path somewhere out there. We're going to hit the debt wall. When we do, we're going to have to erase the debts. We're going to have a jubilee. We're going to have a new system. And now you can start to see the new system forming. You can see it in our Congress and with what Biden was talking about yesterday in these New Deal programs and uh, Yellen being put in at the Treasury. We talked about this on a previous show, but the Banking for All Act and the Illicit Cash Act, Google it. Go to govinfo.gov, so gov information, govinfo.gov, and type in the search bar, digital wallets. Type in uh, digital currency. Type in FedCoin. And you will see that they want to leave the present dollar behind, along with the present euro, the present yen, the present yuan, globally. And they want to go to a digital, global currency. Don't think they don't have a plan for the other side as we go through this reset. We're not going back to the Middle Ages. I'm not saying that. I'm not even saying it's doom and gloom. But I'm saying you're going to have a significant turnover. And now they have cleared the path. With Biden in, <laughs> Trump was standing in their way of all this. Now you've got... This would have just been done maybe in 2016 or 2017. Oh yeah. they, they, this really threw them off. Yeah. Uh, when Hillary wasn't elected, the whole plan got scrapped. And then look, look at what Trump did. He was going along okay until he renegotiated NAFTA and the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It was there, Eddie. That's where it turned. Because now he got in the way of the globalist plans. It, everything shifted at that moment. He said, you want to know something? America's going to go back to being a productive nation. We are going to make things. We are going to create wealth. We are going to stop this 30-year experiment of offshoring everything and having a service economy and a financial economy. That will not play over the long run. We still have a positive view of America and a positive view of economics that we can build, we can create, we can make things and create wealth that the world wants. This was totally counter to what the globalists wanted. They wanted the opposite. (laughs) They really want a system, a bifurcated system with them on the top and everybody else down below. And Trump was going the opposite way. Can I ask you some yeah. questions? Sure, sorry. Um, and I'm I want on a roll. You, no, uh, you are on a roll. I want to let you finish that point. Um, but let me jump in when I can. Keep going. No, no, no. That's okay. Go ahead. I'm... So there's a few things that have come into my, my brain here about this. And since they've now embarked upon this reset and we're looking at this, 
And I know you said that we're not gloom and doom. No. But based upon this, isn't it imminent at this point? And I'd like for you to tell me, I'm assuming that it is. You can tell me whether or not it is uh, or it isn't. If it is, I'd like for you to tell me which goes first. Stock market, housing crash, um, joblessness. In what order does the crash down happen? Uh, for And just on a macro, I don't want to think about anyone's feelings or anything else. I just want to see it completely and totally abstract. If you were looking at this and this is going to come apart, what's the first brick to fall? And then, you know, the Jenga piece that really uh, lets everything go. How does it go? The bond markets. Okay, bond markets. Right. Uh, rough timetable on bond markets is what? I think they would, have, guess. they would have already started crumbling. No, let me back that up. They are crumbling now. Okay, had when it, did that start? Uh, last year during, it would, actually it had started prior to COVID. Okay. And then COVID accelerated it. Okay. If the Federal Reserve had not stepped in to print trillions, yeah. along with the European Central Bank and the other central banks, and buy up the debt of these, what we call zombie corporations. And let yeah. me explain what a zombie corporation yeah. is. Companies, a lot of people who are listeners, they know what it is, but go right. ahead. Yeah, it's a, know. You're not making enough profit to even pay interest on your debt. Right. We have a very large percentage of our companies, not just here in the U.S., but globally, that can, are now zombies. COVID accelerated that. When the bond market rolls over and these defaults start to roll, that will be the part that sets the whole daisy chain rolling downhill. Okay, so bonds go first. Did, how far are we away, you think, if you had to guess? I mean, again, I think it's happening now. Mm-hmm. It's just when does it become so apparent? Yeah, that when does it reach the tipping it? point? I'd be shocked if we can get through the end of this year okay. without the crisis. Okay, and what follows after that, given banks, what bonds are involved? Banks will fall. Yeah, that's and, where I feel. Yeah, right. So bonds, then banks, then... Uh, and then, of course, you know the stock market then goes down, and housing will, will have a hard time. How far are we away from the banks uh, hitting that tipping point like it did in 2008? And obviously, all the small banks will be crushed. Eddie, I thought that the banks were going to fail in the fall of last year. Cause, mm-hmm. And it wasn't, by the way, here. It was the European banks. Right. That they, they have negative interest rates. Yeah, it's it's staggering what's happened to Deutsche Bank and BNP Paribas and these Italian banks that are truly insolvent right now mm-hmm. and how they're staying up. I'll say this. I think it, the catalyst could be something that just comes in out of the blue, Eddie. It, it, it could be a giant earthquake in Mexico mm-hmm. where suddenly the Mexican banks all fail and then it daisy chains. It, I don't know. It could be a hurricane uh, We've already heard Kong. about Greece and various other uh, places. Where uh, are the banks most exposed in the, in the Europe. world right now? Europe, uh, Europe what, and China. Which, which Europe country? China. Which country? Italy and Spain, of course, are disasters, but so so are Germany and France. Okay, and how close uh, is Italy and Spain? You think? I think they're already insolvent. They're just okay. being propped up. So we're gonna the G seven is what? Uh, which are the which are the countries? Uh, which are the G seven? Well, let's see. Well, U.S., Canada, Japan, Germany, Britain, France. I'm missing one. Anyway, you could. Yeah, I'm going to plug it up real quick. Yeah. Uh, yes, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, UK, and the US. Yeah, um, and when you look at that, uh, when you look at the, the, the G8, which includes China and, right. and all of that, um, how does that you know, sort of monster start coming apart? 
with the defaults okay. and the leverage and the derivatives. Do the corporations suddenly become increasingly more powerful? Uh, Amazon, Apple, trillion-dollar companies. Yes. Uh, we do know that Apple has more money than the United States government. Gosh, that is a great question. Do you know why they were so eager to get Biden in there? Because Amazon and Apple and Microsoft, they want to get into banking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know who the largest landowner in the entire world is? I do. And his name is? Bill Gates. And he uh, is formerly, or is? Well, I mean, Eddie, <laughs> this, this is what I did for Bill. Yeah. I mean, when I went up there in 2009, uh, I did his farmland. And so we... 200 and uh, four, He owns various uh, developments in uh, large right. swaths of, right. of flyover country. Right. We never bought it in his name. It was under another outfit. And I have a non-disclosure, but it is in the paper right now. We always bought land with water rights. It was never just dirt outside Las Vegas. It mm-hmm. had to be productive land. And it isn't just land. It's uh, gravel pits. It's uh, lamb farms. It's, he has a lot of hard assets. So the question your listeners have to ask yourself is why? Did why you know would, why when you were buying it? Well, I mean, I was smart enough to keep my mouth shut. Here's Mr. High Tech. He reads math books for fun. And he was buying the lowest of the low tech Soybeans, corn, wheat, mm-hmm. yep. uh, sweet potatoes. Why? Staples. Yeah. Well, what you don't think he doesn't didn't know the stuff that the IMF was talking about in right. 2011 that we were on a trajectory to hit a debt wall and at some point we were going to have a global currency reset and we're going to start over. Which, by the way, is historically natural. Currencies don't last forever. Typically, a lifespan of a currency is 80 to 90 years. So you don't think he didn't know that. And we've talked about this on other shows. Big money has been accumulating hard assets. I'll give you a trivia question. Who is the largest owner of physical silver in the United States? And the answer is J.P. Morgan. If you took the next seven biggest holders of silver, added them up, and multiplied by two, you would not have how much silver J.P. Morgan owns. Eddie, why is an investment bank in New York City that doesn't make solar panels, they don't use silver in any of their products, why are they amassing, have amassed, millions of ounces of silver, which they vault, which they warehouse, which they insure, which they guard? Why? Because they think it's going to be valuable. And so it's a hard asset that's been around for, what, 6,000 years people have valued this, and everybody talks high-tech and Amazon and Google and Microsoft Meanwhile, you've got the richest man, one of the richest men in the world buying farmland. You've got an investment bank buying silver. You've got the Harvard Endowment buying... Water rights. Correct, water rights. And by the way, they're not alone in this kind of thing. And you see this accumulation of hard assets and commodities by the really wealthy of the world. Why would you do that? Because how do you transition your wealth as you go through a cycle change? And that's what this is going to be, a cycle change. You better be in things that can't be printed and things that aren't papery and things that aren't dependent on a promise of somebody else to deliver, like a bond, like an annuity, like uh, CDs, even cash and governments. This is what's going on out there and what Biden, I think, has bought into. I don't think he's bought into anything. I think he's been told what to do. (laughs) I think think it's people. All of our politicians now are puppets. Uh, I think we know enough about what has become of them, an inability right. to be uh, thoughtful about the population that they serve because 
they don't think of the population as people any longer. They think of them as units, and they think of the agenda as what they ultimately must serve in okay. order to do it. So I think polls have now become people, and uh, the people have become units uh, which are dispensable. Right. Uh, uh, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, I've never seen human life being valued less and more commoditized in the way that it is right now. Yeah, they call us use, useless eaters is the term that they use. And at some point, those who aren't contributing anything, they really have no compunction about a depopulation program. And I know people are like, oh, no, here we go. Read their stuff. It's not woo-woo. It's not conspiracy. Read the left's you know, position papers, the white papers that they print out about population. And it's been part of their DNA going back decades. I mean, you go back to the euthanasia stuff, or you go back to Rachel Carson and Silent Spring back in the 60s. Uh, Malthus. Right. Uh, you know, you go back to the population yeah. bomb. Yeah. You know, we were all going to die when we hit four billion or four, yeah, four billion people on the planet. The, the whole place was going to collapse. It's a very negative, dark view of the planet, a view of what human beings can do, what we create. And even in the face of all the things that have never come to pass, and in fact, on the opposite way. Eddie, I'm going to use energy, because that's the big bugaboo right now, right? Oh, oil, it's the carbon footprint. I'm going to take you back, what, 400 years. We were chopping down forests right and left all over the world because people wanted to stay warm and they wanted to have hot food. Northern, Northern Europe was an ecological disaster. Britain had to go to Poland to find trees big enough to serve as the masts on their ships. Well, about the time this was all just total disaster, the Brits discovered the rock that burned, coal. In every way, coal was better than wood. And you want to know something? The forest came back. And we went through, and of course, coal polluted the atmosphere, and we all know all that stuff. But then we discovered oil. In every way, <laughs> oil was better than coal. Plus, it was taking so much coal to get the coal, it wasn't worth it. And Oil was far more efficient and less polluting and far better than coal ever was. And coal was better than wood. And I, I truly believe we're on the verge of a new energy system. That's why I'm not a pessimist. I, I look at some of the patents coming out of Lockheed Martin, the U.S. Navy, some of these tech things. It's uh, you know vehicles that go into outer space, come back through the atmosphere at 22 times the speed of sound, go into the ocean, come out of the ocean, and move like water bugs. First they're here, boom, then they're there, boom, boom, boom. What's powering that? I don't know, but it's not oil. We have figured something out. Yeah. And again, it's not woo-woo. These are patents. It's public information. You can look it up. Can we pick it up there yeah, at that point in terms of jumping off, a jumping off point for next week? Sure. Uh, what I'd really like to do is talk about that. And um, let's figure out what they know versus what common people know. Right. And uh, I think what what's happened is... We communicate, this is mass communication by radio, right. now via TV, uh, obviously uh, uh, through our, our app and our streaming and the information that we're getting. But uh, these are scary times. And I'd like to just do something that hopefully helps us understand why there might be a few reasons to be optimistic. Yes. Uh, understand what is imminent at this point sure. and what, how people may or can prepare. Um, I'd like to move away from... For a moment, just a spiritual 
aspect of it. And the only reason I say so is because I just want to just get through things in a very practical way. And I think maybe the following week, if you don't mind me just no. not programming you, but I'd like to move <laughs> that into uh, the following week being more of a, a spiritual uh, portion of what we talk about for the next three weeks. Does that sound of good? Of course, whatever you want yeah, to do. Okay, I think that would be good. Greg, uh, you're um, infinitely interesting to me. I always appreciate the the experiences that you've had and the what you can impart. I know that you have been uh, put in a number of different circles, and God has led you in various uh, places, uh, which includes right here this afternoon. You know, before I get my the the, the big show going, I guess. Um, but but I do have to say, you know, we need to stop and listen. And you've heard me talk about organizing and the next right. generation. I think that's the way we got to go. Everything that we do like we're doing here in the station, there needs to be a hundred Kivas. There needs to be a hundred Eddies. There needs to be a hundred of what we're doing here. And we need to replicate and scale, make this scalable throughout the rest of the country. If we can do this here and have an impact and leverage that so that way we can get other people to pay attention to our message and hopefully, hopefully uh, get them to focus on what should be our priorities as opposed to their agenda. I think, uh, you know, we might just save ourselves. Yeah, it's, it's what you do. You are positive, and you trust yes, them. You trust them out there. Yes. And you believe in you life. Do. You believe in positive. You believe in growth and development. And you there, there's this spark in you that wants to spread light. Yeah, as as you do as well. Well, it, and there are a million others out there who want to do the same thing. Yeah. All we have to do is you know, get them together. All right, everybody. We'll uh, check in with Greg next Friday as well, or you're hearing him uh, this Thursday uh, here, right before our show. We appreciate everybody tuning in uh, right here in the Kiva AM1600 KIVA on the app ABQ.FM and directly on the TV at rockoftalk.tv. Albuquerque's macro aggression. Eddie Aragon, the rock of talk. 606 in the 505 with more 411 here for your third hour. I am Eddie Aragon, the rock of talk on AM1600 KIVA, ABQ.FM and rockoftalk.com. Download it now. And of course, you can find us on Facebook, on Parlor everywhere here with my good friend Greg Zanetti, Zanetti Financial. Greg, uh, good. Let's see, good Wednesday before the the show or good Friday right. afternoon. Uh, thanks for being here. It is uh, a pleasure to be here, especially this week, based on what's going on. Out yeah, there. it's uh, kind of crazy. Tell me about what you saw and or what you think about uh, what you saw. And of course, this is be kind of uh, topsy turvy, backwards forwards, because a lot of this will be right. airing on. Friday for the show, but uh, did tell me what you, you well, think about because uh, our live audience that's watching us on all of our channels uh, wants to know what you think today. Well, based on what I'm seeing versus what the captions are, it's, there's a huge disconnect in the reality. Right. I, mean, I see a bunch of people walking around the halls of the Capitol, which actually is what I thought we were supposed to do. That <laughs> it was supposed to be the people's capital, and that you you can walk in and talk to whomever you want. But, you know, if this were the Democrats, this would be uh, the voice of the, the people speaking out in the right. halls of power. <laughs> right. If it's the Trump guys, now it's listed as a riot. Yeah. And uh, I, I see a bunch of people just kind of standing around waving American flags and, and Trump flags. And then everybody is denouncing the violence. But I keep like, well, OK, but I, I haven't seen a whole lot of fights or things burning or, you know, fist fights going on. Yeah, there's it's, nothing. Uh, but they did shoot a uh, a white uh, 20 year old, 25 year old uh, woman in the Capitol. Apparently, I don't know what she was going to do in there, but she was she was going to wreak some real havoc, apparently, inside that Capitol. 
I mean, you think about you know Portland, Seattle. You think about Milwaukee. You think about right. Kenosha. You think about all these things, and 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 yet we're the bad. You know, I think uh, Trump supporters have been barely controlled for a very long time, and sitting at home and taking it uh, for the last. I don't know. I'm just uh, two months, but really for the last three and a half, four years. Well, yeah, but think about what you just said. Milwaukee, Kenosha, Portland, Seattle, all that's out there. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the part they don't care about. What they care about is Washington, D.C. Right. And so now here we are in the belly of the beast, the heart of the dragon. Right. And and so now all of a sudden it's, oh, my gosh, it's come to us. But they were feigning all sorts of, well, we're scared. I don't know what those Trump supporters are going to do. They're a bunch of white nationalists. And, you know, I think Donald Trump, our president, shouldn't have even addressed any of the stuff that was happening. He's like, this is what happens. This is people exercising their their First Amendment rights. But we've got bigger things to sort of uh, uh, contend to here. Uh, Obviously, the economic calamity that seems to be coming because... We aren't uh, taking care of business, uh, and I think we need to understand the big picture going forward and what it's going to look like. Again, we see that very buoyant market over thirty thousand uh, as of uh, Wednesday morning. As soon as uh, you know, you saw that the one, maybe two Senate wins in Georgia. The market just goes up five hundred points. Like right. there is such an, a complete and total disconnect. The Democrat policies right. and the statism that's coming from there with just spending more and more money and gathering more and more debt is going to put us in, in, into the ground six feet under for sure, but the market doesn't respond that way. No, so, so let's look at a couple of charts, and you can't really do charts very well on the radio, but let me try to at least describe them. Sure. Uh, I want you to envision a chart with two lines on it. One line is orange, and okay. it's a pretty subdued chart it, it kind of drifts along the bottom with some spikes up and down and then there's a blue line that's pretty much going straight up okay the blue line is the stock market the s&p 500 and i'm starting this back in 2005 so okay. 2005 today 15 years the stock market has generally gone straight up meanwhile that orange line i described that's corporate profits so if i could describe it to your listeners Corporate profits are rising 2005, 6, 7, and then comes Lehman Brothers. Bam, down they go. Bailout, bailout, bailout. Right. Then we claw back up until 2009, 10, 11, 12, and then we flatlined. Mm -hmm. And we just up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down for about eight years until COVID. Then bam, down go corporate profits again. So if you were to draw a line from 2005 straight across to 2020. Up and down, up and down, right. up and down. Corporate profits are where they were 15 years ago. Okay. So you look at their uh, 10K sheets. Right. They look the same as far as the proportionality. Right. Meanwhile, the stock market is 300% higher than it was in 2005. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'm laughing only because that is completely and totally illogical. So right. what are they looking at here? Well, Why are people continuing to throw money in the stock market? And we know that really there was only seven companies, uh, six to right. be honest, that really saw this uh, $3.5 trillion. You and I haven't talked since that time, since right. Google, Microsoft. Apple, Microsoft, uh, <laughs> Facebook, uh, yeah, all Amazon. basically collectively reported $3.5 trillion worth of growth. Right. In this it, year alone, in the year of COVID. Right. Meanwhile, 126 of the 500 companies in the S&P 500 were down 25% or more. There you go. So what's happening is this bifurcation right. where the very, very elites are making a ton of money. And how are they making it? If it's not profits, 
then what's driving the market higher? And if I were to show you another chart, that was money supply, the printing of money and the concomitant uh, association of debt rising with it. You would see that the stock market and the money printing are tracking almost exactly. And that is unsustainable. Right. So what people are betting on now isn't that corporate America is going to V back up and we're going to go from 2005 profit levels to 2019 profit levels in six months. That's not reasonable. Right. Even if COVID suddenly disappeared, do you really think restaurants are going to hire everybody back instantly? They're not going to hire half of the people. Right. Maybe a quarter and in New Mexico, maybe maybe a tenth. Right. Because you got sick leave and all the other things, but I digress. Right. So you would be scared. You'd be nervous. What's coming at me next? Mm-hmm. So I would look for recovery that tepid. So what's driving the market aren't the old-fashioned metrics of, I don't know, profits, <laughs> price-to-earnings ratios, debt levels. All that's out the window, and it has been for a long time. So it's all funny money is what you're saying. Right. The uh, stock market isn't real. Right. When does it go the other direction? When do people decide to do all the profit-taking? Uh, they wait for Trump to leave the White House, and they say, okay, January 21st, we're going to yank all of our money out and just basically just rip it out, rip the rug, rug out from underneath us. Uh, yes, they could do that. And the they actually would be, I think, foreigners could do it now. What could happen is it wouldn't necessarily be directly stocks. It would be the um, disgorgement of U.S. dollars in the foreign exchange markets. Okay. And people have to understand that the stock market is actually pretty small in comparison to the bond market, which is far bigger. And what's far bigger than the bond market are the currency markets. Well, in the currency markets, what you're seeing now is the dollar is breaking down. There is a consequence to all this money printing. And while we're all focused on the stock market and the housing market and everything internal to the United States, and outside people are saying, what is going on inside America? In fact, they're watching it today on TV. Yeah, the Europe, Europe Latin America, right. Asia, they're all watching us and probably saying what? Right, why should we have faith in this currency? Right. What's going on? Their government isn't stable. Uh, the country isn't stable. Their country is bifurcating. Perhaps we should be disgorging U.S. dollars. As that happens, as the dollar breaks down, that's going to be your key that the economy is hitting its breaking point. And so just very quickly, especially for the people who are watching us uh, online, and if we can just move the microphone back so we can see your face just a little bit better there, Greg. Let's say there we go. Just on this. Oh, there we go. There we go. Now we can see Greg's nutty. Um, we talked about the 80s. Right. We talked about the change in currency, not just the wars, but every 80 years. You right. know, what was the standard, you know, for example, back in 1940? What was the standard, you know, back in 1860? What was the standard back in 1780? That has kept changing world. You've talked about uh, right. Dutch. You've talked about French, the Frank. <laughs> the British. Yeah, the British pound. <laughs> right. And then now we come to the U.S. dollar. Right. And we're hitting the end of our historical lifespan as the world's currency of choice. We're actually right on time. And so that yeah, that 2021, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> and <laughs> Let's we, change it all around again. And we talked about this. He said, look, 2020 is a doorstep year. That was last year. If you were to draw the parallels, I guess right now I would say this looks more like uh, 1860 or last year did, 
where families start to tear apart. Politically, because, too. Right, exactly. And we've been talking a lot about that. I know you've been catching Dowd and I, really going back to the, the Whigs, uh, right. the Republicans and yeah. the Democrats. I mean, we've Republican-Democrats, uh, we've been talking about the 1840s to the 1855. Right, well, integral to that was actually currencies. Okay. People don't talk about what was happening to the money back then. Of course, when they split, you know, the Confederates have to issue their new currency. And what was that? The Confederate dollar. Oh, okay. Okay, so... Do you remember that at the end of the movie Gone with the Wind, Scarlet comes racing home to her burned-out mansion, and there's her doddering old dad, and she says, Daddy, what are we going to do about money? <laughs> he says, Don't worry, honey. We're rich. And he brings out his box, and he opens it up. And it's full of Confederate currency. Uh, worthless. Right? And the look of horror on Scarlet's face. There's right. not even a line in the movie. It's just like she knows they're done. <laughs> well, that was the end of that currency. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, up north, what people don't realize is Lincoln had the same problem. Our money used to be blue. Our money was called silver certificates. Mm-hmm. They were dollars, but they were convertible to silver. Well, th- there wasn't enough silver to prosecute this war. So Seward, he was the Secretary of the Treasury, the guy who bought Alaska. You know, Seward's folly. That's the guy. He says, Mr. President, you got to call in all the currency. Lincoln says, I do. He says, yeah, we, we can't continue like this. We're going to have to reissue new currency, and it won't be backed by silver. And so Lincoln said, will the people accept such a thing? And he said, Mr. President, they'll have no choice. So we called in all the silver certificates. All the blue money comes in. We issue green money. This is where we get the green back. And it's, it is backed by the good faith and credit of the northern st- states of America. Well, it's a whole new currency system. It bankrupts thousands, tens of thousands in the north. I mean, if you wondered why people hated Lincoln, mm-hmm. destroy the currency and reissue a new currency at a devalued level, which they had to do to prosecute the war. And shoot, I mean, people hated his guts. You know yeah. that? You've yeah. done so where are we today? Well, I mean, it may not be the South where we open it up and say, you know, it's totally funny money, but we are devaluing the currency. That's coming. And if we Well, we've devalued the currency. The printing right. of money actually creates your dollars are worth a lot less. And then inflation sets in and things cost a lot more. Right. But in real terms, they're really cheaper than they've ever been, which is, in, in, to put that in, in comparison, is... Housing has never been cheaper. The affordability right. has never been better, yet the prices have never been higher. Right. So how do you rationalize all that? And it just has to do with the fact that we've got to talk about negative interest rates here today. Right. And I think that that's important. I tried to uh, was explaining that to my dad, and you know my dad, of course. And you're looking at negative interest rates. Like, it's pretty uh, – money's going to be so cheap and so <laughs> valueless, you're going to take your money, and after the money that they gave you for your house, you're going to turn around and give more money to the bank so you could pay them for the interest that you owe them because there's negative interest rates. Okay, okay. It's literally insanity. Am I, are we jumping too far ahead? No, no, Greg? no, no. You're doing great. In fact, I, I, I brought my little chart on this. Yeah. Okay, this is really wonkish, but hang with me here, honey. All right, uh, br- bring that uh, phone so we can see your face a little bit. I just uh, oh, looked sorry. up. I'm still... There we go. We're, we're, we're working with all the newfangled technology. I, I've that, got a face for radio. There we so go. Let's, let's, let's move that, let's move that uh, <laughs> video a little bit more to your right. There you go. Like uh, no, let's just actually move the whole thing, slide it out. Uh, you, could, you could do that, but you're, be, you're behind the How's mic. How's that? Uh, there we go. That's oh, fine. You're good. Fine, guys. Okay. You don't have to see me. I'm not that. <laughs> <laughs> you're on video, though. <laughs> Great. Okay. <laughs> all right. Have you ever heard of something called M1? 
Yes, money supply one. Right. Okay. M1 for your audience is the money closest to you. Yep. This is cash. Uh, it's the money in your purse, the money in your wallet. It's your ATM. It's not even your ATM card. It's, it's, it's cash, basically. The M1 money supply. If we start in 1913, so that's when the Federal Reserve Bank was created. Eddie, I'll just tell you, it took us 80 years to get our first trillion dollars. <laughs> He's fixing there my camera go. for there me. Okay. It took us 80 years to get to the first trillion dollars of M1. That took us to 1993. It then took 18 years to get us to the next trillion dollars. So that's 1994 to 2011. Five years gets us to the next trillion. Four years to the next trillion. That means in January, so one year ago, January of 2020, we read $4 trillion of M1. Okay, got it. In the next six months, we doubled it. We went, I mean, we, we did it in the next trillion. We went from four to five trillion. Then four months later, we did the next trillion that took us from five to six trillion. And then starting in November to the end of December, we were on pace to do the next trillion. In other words... Is that a total of seven? Did I count that right? Seven trillion dollars? Let's see. That would be... Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven trillion. Yes. We okay. went from four trillion to seven trillion in one year. <laughs> That's what I said. Additional money right. floating around. So if you look at this on a graph... Eddie, it looks like a hockey stick. Yeah. I mean, you know where it starts gradually, gradually. It's right, right, like a curve right. and then boom, straight up. We're at straight up. We have weeks now where we're printing a quarter of a trillion dollars. Right. It's like, holy cow, what in blazes is going on here? And what's going on here is they're trying to hold this system together with bailing wire and duct tape. And it's showing up out there in the economy. Go to Costco. Mm-hmm. Look at the price of ground beef. Look at the price of the canned goods. Look at the price of coffee. What's, mm-hmm. Wait, what's going on? If everything's like, expensive when it comes right. to commodities. Right. But everything's super cheap when it comes to technology. Right. Uh, flat screens. Uh, everyone's running around in a new car these days. Well, they're leasing them. But yeah. Well, I don't know what's going on, but I see new cars everywhere. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Like, okay. It's insane. That- well, let's look at that. Let's look at debt levels. <laughs> Let's go back to 2007, okay. just before the financial crisis then, because that's when the world really changed. Right. Total debt in America, that would be corporate debt, government debt, and we'll say credit card debt, was $53 trillion. That's a big number for 2007. Well, right now, let's, let's add one more piece to this. Back then, too, the GDP of the country was $14 trillion. So... All right, $14 trillion GDP, $53 trillion in total debt. Over the last 12 years, 13 years, from 2007 to today, the GDP has grown $7 trillion. That's pretty good. A 50% in 12, 13 years for a mature economy, that's a good number. Way to go, America. But the debt went from $53 trillion to $88 trillion. Well, you add $7 trillion to GDP, but you add over $30 trillion to your debt, what it's telling you is our growth is not organic, that we are not seeing profits and growth in the economy and new plant, new equipment driving us forward. What we have is a debt-financed drive forward that's the bigger piece of our move up. So here's the box we're in. Eddie, we can't lower interest rates. I mean, raise interest rates. If we tried to raise interest rates, 
it would crush everything out there. So we're encouraging people to borrow. Yeah, I'd go get exactly. a new car. Yep. Get a new car. It's 1% interest. 2% and that's what they, and the, everything right now for the last two years has been led on consumption. Right. And I've been trying to tell everybody for some time, like, whoa, just, you know, the, part of the reset is also to re-enslave you. Right. To figure out another way to get a hold of you. So if they can enslave you right. and they have you bound and they're sending you $600 or $2,000, or $2,400, right. you have to realize that they've got to account for that money, and right. they are going to make you responsible for that. And you're owned by the Corporation of the United States of America, and the United States absolutely loves that. Right. It, and so the question is, on this debt, what's the collateral behind all this debt? Well, the Federal Reserve's printing this money, right? Well, you know what they're doing? They are buying the mortgages. You've talked about this on your show. Right. They're buying government back. That means they own the mortgage to your house. They are buying corporate debt. This used to be against the law. In fact, we really haven't changed the law. We're just ignoring it now. So if a company's in trouble and they're about to fail, which, by the way, is kind of part of capitalism, that bad businesses fail, new businesses come back up, we're not letting anything fail. So the Federal Reserve is buying these, the debt of what we call zombie companies, and Eddie, a zombie and zombie company, company, you gave us the definition last time, is? Is a company that can't even afford, it doesn't even make enough profit to pay the interest on their debts. If you can't make enough profit to pay the interest on your debts, you're, you're the walking dead. Well, we've got dozens and dozens and dozens of dead zombie companies out there being propped up by the Federal Reserve who has purchased their debt so it wouldn't fail. And yes, failure is a tough thing. But it happens when bad companies, bad management, so on and so forth, and new companies can grow. We're not letting that happen. This is why our growth rates are so stagnant. This is why it's so slow. And I could show you those charts, too. So the debts are rising. Innovation is falling. The wealth is being funneled up. Yeah, to, very to a few people now. Right. Like, it was, it's even fewer now than ever. And it's funny, while the leftists, Antifa, uh, all the Black Lives Matter people were talking about uh, inequality. I mean, inequality. Right. What ends actually happens? All the right. people that are putting out the messaging realize that, oh, you know what? All the money is going to come to us. You have one place for this, one place for that, one place for those things, right. and one place for these things. That's what socialism is. Right. It's a merger between corporations and the government. Fascism, when the winners get picked by the government and say, that is our preferred vendor, that is our preferred company, that is a, right. buy everything from Amazon, buy everything from Google, get all your information from Apple. When they finally converge upon that and you're like sitting here like, oh, what's really going on? They've gamed us. So then your credit card turns into, well, the credit card of the USA as well as the credit card of Google, Apple, uh, PayPal, right. whatever it happens to be. Right. And the middle class gets wiped out. And by the way, add the third leg to that stool. It's not just government and corporations merging. Add in the central banks. Mm -hmm. Well, they don't, that doesn't happen without them injecting that level. Right. And we only know, and we can go back to the lessons of 2008. And I'll show you what I mean by, by this, and I'm going to do this again because I did this uh, with you before, okay? Okay. This is an Apple credit card. I'm going to put it out there right there. You guys can see it, Apple credit card, okay? What's on the back of this? What does it say? Goldman Sachs right. <laughs> and MasterCard. Right. Who got bailed out in 2008? Right. JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs. Sachs. They got all that money injected. Where did that money come from? The central bank. Well, I don't get money on this credit card. 
if they can't lend the money in the first place and they're the only ones that are going to allow me to have the credit based upon whatever value they place on me through a credit score. We know what those credit agencies did. They falsified the record so we can go get ahead and get more and more. They do the same thing with, with, with people. How bought are you into the system? The more you're bought into the system, the more credits they're going to afford you because the more they own you. Right. Debt enslavement. This is exactly what, isn't this what China wants from us? Sure. You know, hey, three and a half trillion, we're going to hang it over your heads, and China's going to own the United States of America. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's what they're looking forward to. Yeah, and so what's coming next? Uh, we know this isn't sustainable. You, you just right. And we're on this path, the hockey stick path of printing money, and never in history has there been a country or a nation that has reversed once you get going on this thing. So they're going to push it till it breaks. Eddie, do, do you think they have no plans at all for the other side? No, they have uh, They have uh, every day plan all the way until I think they make a call for their money. Right. I think there's no doubt in my mind that the people who are running this know exactly when they're going to push that button. They're going to say, you know what? Right. We want our money back. We own your houses. We own your government. We own your cars. And we own your life. And you belong to us. You're part of the United States of America Corporation, and we own the United States of America. That's right. that. What we, when we had Trump, we weren't going to be owned by whatever central right. bankers uh, that right. were going to control the Rothschilds, the Duponts, all these big uh, wealthy families. Now we're enslaved to them, maybe forever. Right. It's not just here, but it, it's global. Right. That's what people don't get. I mean, this is an amazing accomplishment uh, on the other side. And that we've allowed this but they knew they had to press the button. Right. They saw that they had to press the button because they said, we can't take another four years of right. Donald Trump right. having the United States thinks that it can do everything on its own. We need those people more. China needs them. Uh, right. Latin America needs the United States. Everybody needs the United States. Well, well, if everybody needs them and they decide to go and do everything on their own and become self-sustaining and become their own manufacturer and do right. everything so they're controlled and we don't have access to that market anymore, the rest of our world is bankrupt. Because right. that's one-fifth of the entire economy, right. of the global economy, right? Plus, it was an example for the rest of the world. Right. Hey, if they can do it, well, what about us? Right. Self-sustaining, self no longer dealing with free trade. This is one of the reasons why when this whole thing started back with Clinton back in 1992, and it was like, open it up. Right. We're going to go ahead and open up free trade. We started talking about NAFTA. What happened? We lost three and a half million jobs that all got exported. So instead of us making our own stuff anymore, we were making it in Mexico, Echo in Mexico, Echo in China, Echo in every other, Echo in every single place around the world. And, and Donald Trump's like, hey, I just want made in the USA again. What's wrong with that? Well, everything was wrong with it if you're a globalist. Right. <laughs> because, yeah, it got in the way of the plan. So what's coming then? They're going to destroy the currency. That's the plan. And not but, just but ours. When? It's, it's, What's it's, your timing? It's, it's happening now. Okay. It's, so it's a process. It is. A, right. And it's underway as we speak. So we, it's not just going to happen one day, you know, June 6, 2021, there's a call on all the money. It's not going to happen that way. Uh, yes, it will. Okay. Now, prior to that, it will accelerate. So you'll have a process where it will be gradual, which we're already past the gradual stage. We're now at the acceleration stage. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, I mean, because right. you kept... I don't know what the intervals, but I look at everything on intervals. Right. I didn't count. I was ca too busy counting the number of times, right. which was seven. But did the time intervals between the trillion dollar injections 
Did that shorten and shorten and shorten? <laughs> yes. Well, then maybe we can extrapolate based upon the shortening of that to figure out exactly when they're going to call that money. Well, like, well, we know when uh, we know we know when uh, year zero is. So you know what you look for? You don't look internally. You look externally. Okay. You look at is the dollar being rejected for worldwide trade, and that is happening. And we've got where is it happening that? right now? It's uh, happening in the oil markets, okay. where they're not using as many dollars to buy oil. They're starting. So to when Russia and Saudi Arabia got together and decided to try to tank the United States of America and give us negative uh, barrels of oil, that was the, an attempt to try and do that? Sure. Okay. Because now demand for dollars falls. Meanwhile, supply of dollars is zooming straight up. So this isn't real difficult for your listeners out there. It's a supply and demand thing. Mm-hmm. As long as there's demand for dollars, print as much as you want. Well, if demand for dollars is dropping like a stone, meanwhile you're printing trillions of them, what's going to happen to the value of your currency? And so this is the game the Chinese are playing right now as well. They are disgorging dollars. Every month you can see it on something called the Tick Report. Tick Report. Tick. Treasury International Capital. Okay. And so it's our treasury keeping track of who owns American debt. For years, the Chinese were like... Oh, wow, there it is. There you go. And what you can see is, in particular, Chinese debt is they are disgorging every month in a disciplined, methodical way they're getting out of U.S. debt. Meanwhile, the Japanese have ramped up. They've bought more of our debt because... It's a way to make money. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Does everybody going to make money on the United States of America? And ultimately, the U.S. consumer is going to be enslaved by Japanese, Chinese, (laughs) and anybody who buys our debt? Right. Everybody owns the stuff. And so now what we're talking about, uh, f- by the way, folks, isn't sort of this like nebulous, esoteric thing. I mean, oh. this is real and tangible. Right. This isn't some sort of fairy tale that we're t- weaving. This is now a reality if uh, Donald Trump leaves the White House on January 20th. Well, yeah, and, and what, Biden and Hunter Biden. <laughs> I mean, they're best friends with these guys. The ironic <laughs> thing is Hunter Biden. Uh, sorry to digress here. <laughs> didn't even have $100 to put to fill up his gas in his car. He's texting. He's emailing his buddy. For a hundred dollars, it's hard to make this stuff up. <laughs> so what's the what's the end game? Well, they want to move us to this digital currency. Yep, which is what you and I talked about. On we have been shows. talking about that, and it scares the living you know what out of people. Sure, they see us controlled, and hey, I never touch a dollar, but somehow I got things. Uh, but I got things because I'm involved in things, and the things that I'm involved in all have to do with the government. Right. People don't realize. Oh. The six hundred dollars, the two thousand dollars, the money that I'm getting—well, that's digital currency, right? Except this won't quite be digital currency. This will be blockchain digital currency that you. What get. does that mean? Explain for our listeners, because okay. people hear that phrase a lot, uh, and I think for a lot of people, it's like, "Oh, is that the Matrix?" Or you know, they think of it as sort of something else. And I do want to get to uh, cryptocurrency uh, as well. Um, and I want to talk about the prices of that uh, just for our listeners uh, okay. out there, for people who have that. But what's blockchain? Uh, let's see. Blockchain technology is the foundation for Bitcoin and Ethereum and Litecoin. All these cryptocurrencies are based on blockchain. And actually, it's an old technology, Eddie. It's 20, 25 years old. Mm-hmm. And it, the idea was to be able to track shipments of things and to keep track and to make sure that all your ledgers lined up at all times. Mm-hmm. It's actually a pretty cool system. We should probably vote with blockchain. It, it would prevent all this voter fraud out here. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the, tech, the foundation of it is really good. And they just said, well, what, what if we made this a currency? 
what if people traded their goods and their services via blockchain and we had a set number of these blockchain units and Bitcoin was the first one to do it? Well, now we have, what, thousands of these currencies out there floating around. And I'm going to digress here for a minute. Bitcoin has been zooming higher. 36,000 plus today. In fact, uh, one of our guys said it's at uh, 36,418. Right. Okay, so why? Going to 100K. Right. Okay, this actually takes good news. The primary people dealing with blockchain and Bitcoin and cryptos, they're mostly millennials and younger. It's not the, or me. Yeah, it's not the boomer generation mm-hmm. though, that's out there buying Bitcoin. That group has figured out we're debasing the dollar. Right. We're devaluing the currency. They're going to print these things like water. I've got to find some place to go. Well, they look at Bitcoin and say, well, there are only, what, 21 billion of these. It's a set amount. It may hold its value. So they're, they've determined that it's better to have Bitcoin as their means of savings versus the U.S. dollar, which tells me their education level on economics is pretty good. Yeah. Good on those guys. Uh, look what's happening with gold over the last few months. Gold and copper and lim- lumber. We're zooming and past 2,000 pretty quick here. Right. Anything that can't be printed, people are now racing to. Mm-hmm. Get me out of this paper. Well, people in the know are racing toward it. Most people out there, they're just trying to live their lives and they're really right. busy and so on. Oh, by the way, we've got three minutes. Okay. So, a digital dollar is what you get paid with when you get your paycheck and it goes right to your bank. And that's not really traceable. A a Fed coin, a blockchain coin, is programmable. You, uh, If they wanted to, they could say, uh, you have a timer on the 2,000 Fed coins you just downloaded. If you don't spend it in a month, you lose it. Well, that'll force you to spend. That'll mean every restaurant out there will hike the prices of tacos $2 because they know you got to spend it. They could put geographical limits on it. Hey, look, we're going to enforce COVID. Right. If you move 10 miles outside the radius, you can't spend it. it doesn't work anymore. Yep. Uh, they could do loans this way. Uh, the Fed or the the Fed gives uh, Fed coins to the banks and say, all right, this tranche can only go to New Green Deal loans. This tranche can only go to shale loans. This tranche could go to that neighborhood. So this is inevitable. Right. The inevitability of this technology is there. Yes, it's already here. And when Klaus Schwab says you will own nothing and you will be happy, <laughs> I mean, they took that down. But yeah. they mean it. Right. They want to own everything. And don't worry, we'll care for you little people out here. That's the end game for these guys, and they want to use money to control us in that way, so they have to take out the old system to bring in the new system. And what you have to figure out is how do you not become roadkill as they go through this process? Uh, I don't know if you were connecting to my brain, but uh, when does the process inevitably go to the point of people having so much control that they have to uh, basically commit a holocaust so that they can uh, further increase uh, the value of what actually exists. And I think that the inevitability of that uh, is also coming here in the next 100 years. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, there are reports out there, they've been out there for a long time, about the depopulation movements mm-hmm. and what that would mean. And they will couch it all in terms of it's for the good of the planet and it's not sustainable what right. we're doing. Therefore, we, as the controllers, the masterminds of the universe, we will decide who gets cold and who doesn't. Greg, how can people reach you? My number, uh, 250-3754. Just go to my website, zanettifinancial.com. Thanks for joining me here on this Wednesday online. Uh, We are on Parler, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, We're not on blockchain. That's not anything, Uh, by the way. 
of course, uh, you can uh, find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, Spotify as well. And you can listen to a complete replay of this. This will uh, air Friday. And if you heard this on Friday, we uh, actually recorded this on Wednesday. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great weekend if you're hearing us on Friday. And for those of you who are listening to me live right now at 3.53 on a Wednesday afternoon, I'll see you in seven minutes for our Wednesday kickoff of the radio show. Stay tuned. Bill O'Reilly is next.